Well, good morning, Redemption Tempe. My name is Will Vakurvich, one of the pastors here. I am thankful to be able to share with you guys this morning. Uh, Would you pray with me before we, we dive into God's word? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the season. We thank you for Advent and for Christmas, and for the celebrations, and and just for this time of year. Lord, we thank you that we get to gather as your people today. Spirit, we ask that you would fill this place, that you would move and work and encourage and bring conviction and repentance and life. We love you, Jesus. Help us to love you more. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, what do we do with this week? This is the weirdest week of the year, this week in between Christmas and New Year's, this week where like some people are working, some folks aren't, kids are out of school, some people are on vacation. What What do we do? Do we even get dressed or do we just lounge around in the new pajamas that we got on Christmas morning? This is a weird week. This, this, these folks that um, I volunteer with, wants to have a meeting first thing tomorrow morning. And I'm like, really? The 28th of December, first thing in the morning? This is when we should, it doesn't feel like we should be meeting early. This is a strange week, this after Christmas time. We've had the celebrations. We've opened the gifts. Well, the ones that arrived on time anyways. Uh, We came for the service, either outside or, or inside at the 11 p.m. We celebrated, we sang, and now we wait We wait for what's next. We wait for the next holiday. We wait for work and school to get back up running. We wait. We remember that Jesus came, but we wait for him to return. We remember that there's hope, but we look around, we read the news, and we feel so much of the weight of the brokenness. So after Christmas, in this awkward week, we wait. The question is, how do we wait faithfully? I don't know about you, but for me, this year felt like so much waiting, waiting to see what was going to happen, waiting to see what was going to shut down, waiting to see what was going to open up, waiting to see what was going to happen with the schools, waiting for all types of things, waiting for test results, waiting for Christmas to come because that would just feel so much better. My my poor youngest son, we, we we didn't slack this year, surprisingly. The day after Thanksgiving, we started doing the shopping and, and, and my boys, I don't know about you guys, but they're into this show called um, The Mandalorian. Anyone heard of it? So we found a Mandalorian action figure for my youngest son and we ordered it right away. And it was shipped from Washington DC on December 2nd. And it's still not here. <laughs> like still two days after Christmas, still not here. So this poor little guy is still waiting for the Mandalorian. It's a time of waiting. How do we wait faithfully? How do we wait patiently? Not just for the gifts to arrive, but really for the return of Jesus. For all of these things that have felt so heavy this year to be made right. How do we wait faithfully? We're gonna look at Luke chapter two, to see what happened after the first Christmas. And we'll, we'll notice three characters, Mary and Joseph, we'll notice Simeon, and we'll notice Anna to see what we can learn from them about how to wait faithfully. So if you have your Bibles or your apps, open those up to Luke chapter two. We're gonna start with verse 22 as we read from God's word. 
This is what Luke tells us in verse 22 of chapter two. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, this referring to baby Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So we see Mary and Joseph and, and sweet chubby little baby Jesus on their way up to Jerusalem as was customary according to the law, according to the, the cleansing and purification rituals and this dedication uh, uh, principle according to the law at 40 days, when the baby was 40 days old, they would go and they would, um, they would fulfill these things that were written in the Old Testament law. And so as non-glorious and exciting as it is, the first thing we see this young couple doing is they're going through the motions. They're going through the motions. Now, I know in our context, that has a negative connotation, but think about everything that has happened, right? The angels have appeared. Uh, Elizabeth has conceived in her old age and John the Baptist has been more born. The angel appeared to Mary and, and the virgin was, was pregnant. She gave birth to Jesus. The, the angels appeared to the shepherds. The shepherds showed up and visited baby Jesus. All of these big, huge events have happened. And now, 40 days later, they have an infant. After all of these promises have come, these prophecies are being fulfilled in their very midst. It's just an ordinary day. The baby's about six weeks old. So what do you do? This is baby Jesus. This isn't like teaching, preaching Jesus. This isn't Jesus with the crowds or Jesus with the miracles or Jesus feeding people. That will come more than 30 years down the road. So we have three decades of going through the motions, of being faithful in the small things, of being obedient to the Lord. The angel told them to name him Jesus. So they did. The law says to circumcise him on the eighth day. So they did. The Old Testament tells them to go to, to the temple and, and to perform these rituals for purification and dedication. And so they do. They're faithful in the small things. They're going through the motions in faithful obedience as they wait to see what will become of this child. They're just faithful and consistent and trustworthy. All of these things that I don't know about you, but I don't particularly enjoy. I like the big, I like the exciting. I like the one-time things. I don't like the day in and day out grind. It gets boring if we're honest, if I'm honest. This, this reminds me of this commercial. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's by far my favorite commercial of the holiday season. And I've only seen it because of social media because it's from a Dutch pharmaceutical company called Doc Morris. And, and what it is, it's this brilliant commercial. We, we, it's, it opens up and you see this old grandpa shut off his alarm clock, roll out of bed and look outside. And he starts to notice these Christmas decorations. So folks are nodding. They know where this is going. It's such a good commercial. And, and so you know that it's Christmas time, right? It's getting colder out. And so old grandpa goes out to the garage and he kind of has to move some things around and he finds this giant kettlebell, this giant weight. And he drags this weight out and he tries to drag it to the garden and he bends down and tries to pick it up, but it's too heavy. And then the next morning, you see him shut off the alarm clock. 
You see him go out to the weight and you see him struggle. And morning after morning after morning, you see old grandpa struggling with this weight until finally he can pick it up. And then a few days later, you see him, he picks it up and he begins to extend the weight out, but he drops it because it's too heavy. And the whole time, the nosy neighbor is peering through the gate wondering, what is this guy doing? And the next morning, he goes out to the weight and he picks it up and he tries to extend his arms outward and he gets a little bit further, but he drops it again. And the neighbors are watching and wondering, when do we call the doctor? Because this is strange. And then you see the the grandpa has a picture frame. You see it from the, the backside of the picture frame and his eyes are fixed on this picture and he begins to pick up the weight and extend his arms out. And day after day after day, he bends down, picks up the weight and he extends his arms out. And some kids from the neighborhood, they come, they start joining along in this strange motion of bending down, picking up, extending arms out straight over and over and over. And now the neighbor is really concerned. She calls his daughter to come check on him, right? She needs to do a wellness check because what is this old guy doing lifting weights every single day? So the daughter comes, they have a conversation and the grandpa continues day after day. You see the decorations come in the neighborhood. Christmas trees are getting put up and decorated. It's getting closer and closer and closer to Christmas until finally it's Christmas Eve and grandpa puts on his best suit, straightens up his tie, gets in the car, drives to his daughter's house. And there's a quick greeting for the daughter and for the son-in-law, but you can see his eyes are looking for someone. And finally, at the top of the stairs, he sees her, his granddaughter. She runs down the stairs, jumps in his arms, and he hands her a present, a beautifully wrapped gift. She tears the wrapping paper open only to reveal a star-shaped Christmas tree hopper. And what does grandpa do? He bends down, picks her up, and extends his arms outward so that his granddaughter can put the star on the top of the tree. Now, if you can make it through this commercial without tearing up, I don't know what to tell you. We need, there's going to be prayer people on the side after service. But it was so beautiful. It's so moving. The, the camera cuts to the garage where the kettlebell is, and we finally see the front of the picture frame. And of course, It's his granddaughter. The child was the motivation for him going through the motions. Being able to lift his granddaughter up so that she could place the star on top of the Christmas tree was what kept him going. We see the same thing in our text today. This little child can be our motivation for going through the motions. As we fix our eyes on Jesus, it gives us hope after Christmas. Gives us hope in the waiting, in the in-between times, in the awkward weeks that we don't know what to do after the promises have been made, but we're back to the normal mundane realities of life. We go through the motions. If I can be a little honest and confess to you guys, mornings are not the greatest time in my household. Uh, We typically have battles getting ready for school. And so... In a desperate act to help me keep my calm and composure with my boys a few years ago, what I decided to do was was make a ritual. Every day as I drive them to school, we pray. And I'd like to tell you it's because I'm like this great spiritual leader in my house and I'm thinking about the discipleship and formation of my kids. But if I'm honest, 
Really what I was trying to do is if I know I have to pray with these kids, it helps me like not lose my cool on them and then feel like a fraud. Like, hey, dad just lost his mind. Now let's pray to Jesus. That's pretty hypocritical. So, so we started this, this routine. We pray on the way to school and it's evolved over the years. Uh, now we have, we have three choices. We can do a normal prayer. We can do listening prayer where we're just quiet and see what the spirit says to us. Or we do popcorn prayer where everyone in the car takes turns going around in a circle over and over and over, listing things that they're thankful for. And that's what we do. And it feels like just a normal thing that I did to try to keep myself from losing my cool with my kids, but now it has become so ingrained in them that if I forget, they're like, dad, we gotta pray. Few times grandma and grandpa have driven them to school. They're like, hey, we pray on the way to school. This is a thing that we do. We go through the motions and it creates patterns and habits and routines. And unexpectedly, my kids are being formed by this. They're being formed by notice, noticing the blessings in their life and thanking God for them. They're learning how to stop and listen to what the spirit might be saying. Have consistency in prayer in their life just by simply going through the motions. So after Christmas, we, we, we see this. We, we see this faithfulness in this young couple. And I can't help but think of Mary as we talk about going through the motions, right? We've said this is a long way from, this is a long way from the miracles of Jesus. These will come in about 30 years. But I think of Mary just as, as a person, as a mom. I start wondering, how many meals does she prepare for the bread of life? How many baths did she give the one who would bring about our ultimate cleansing? How many tears would Mary have wiped away from the young cheeks of Jesus, the one who will wipe away every tear from every eye for all eternity? How many moments of her day how many times were her plans and her agenda given up sacrificially for the one who would ultimately lay down his life and sacrifice for us? I wonder how many times she picked up the one who would carry our sins and our burdens on his shoulders. Our faithfulness in the small things of life matters. Our obedience as we go through the motions, living all of life, literally, all for Jesus matters. And so as we wait in this in-between after Christmas time, I hope that we can start to ask God, what are some of the routines that we need to incorporate in our own lives? What are some of those habits that we need to form that help us, that form us to be more faithful in our waiting for Jesus to return? Let's keep going. We pick back up. Chapter two, verse 25. And here we'll meet Simeon. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He came into the spirit, he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. 
His father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now, Simeon says a lot here. There's a lot of promises about who Jesus is and what he's going to do and and accomplish uh, according to God's will and what's gonna happen. We're gonna focus our time on Simeon. What do we know about Simeon? Well, we know Simeon's an older guy. We know that God spoke to Simeon. He made him a promise and Simeon believed and obeyed. God told him, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. You will not see death before you see this promised one or or Messiah or, or Christ, the one who God promised would come and make all things right. Return things to the way they ought to be. You will see him. And so what did Simeon do? Well, Simeon believed and he obeyed. Now, we don't know when exactly God made this promise. We don't know if this promise was a week before. We don't know if it was a year before, a decade before. We don't know, but we know that Simeon trusted the word of God. He trusted the promise made to him. We know that Simeon lived under Roman oppression, under Roman rule, the threat of violence every single day. I wonder how many days Simeon woke up and heard a new story about God's people being oppressed about God's people being extorted, about God's people being beaten and killed at the hands of the Roman Empire. We don't know how many days he woke up with that. We don't know how many birthdays came and went with Simeon trusting the promises of God. Would it happen this year? Would it happen this month? Would it happen today? Well, there was a day. There was a day when he felt something. He felt something deep within him and it said, go to the temple. And so he did. He went to the temple and he didn't know that probably on another road, this little family would be coming to the temple as well. But God orchestrates these things. God always makes good on his promises. And so God gives him this promise. You will see the Messiah. You will see the promised one. Go to the temple. And so he does. And what does Simeon find? A little baby. Think about this. The Roman Empire, they've dominated the world. They've oppressed not only Israel, God's people, but all kinds of people. And who's going to be the deliverer? This little baby. Who's going to overturn the Roman Empire? The one who can't even roll over on his own. But Simeon trusts the word of God. And he responds with joy. He responds with faith and with confidence in what God says because he knows who God is. God is trustworthy, even through the years of oppression. God is trustworthy, even if we wonder, does this promise still apply? God is trustworthy. And when God says you're going to make it, guess what, church? We're gonna make it. 
So God gives Simeon this promise and we see it come to fruition. He meets the baby Jesus and he can't help but bless God, but bless this family, bless this little baby and start to talk about what he sees in this baby. See, Simeon could think back on that moment when God spoke to him, when God made that promise. I wonder if any of you have those moments that you think back to. I wonder if this was a moment for Mary when she was told that her son would be a light of revelation, that he would bring salvation. I wonder if she thought about this day as people started to call her son a lunatic or suggest that maybe he was demon-possessed. I wonder if she remembered the promise of this day as Jesus was being driven out of towns, as the crowds started to gather around him, as the religious leaders started to plot. I wonder if she thought of this day when he was arrested. How do you make sense of God's promise for her son while she watched him hang from the cross? And I wonder if it clicked that Sunday morning when Jesus was raised from the dead. I wonder if we have those moments that God has spoken to us, that God has encouraged us, that God has given us just a little glimpse, a little taste, a promise that we can hold on to. I have one of those moments. It, it, it was like right around over there. It was about, oh, I haven't done the math, um, maybe not eight years ago, seven or eight years ago, sitting in this room on a Sunday, and feeling this sense of God calling me, <laughs> telling me that I was going to be a pastor. Now, at the time, I did not want to be a pastor. But I felt this strange sense that God was telling me I was going to be a pastor. And then he gave me this weird little glimpse. He, I had this sense that it was going to rain on the day that I would start. Now, guys, I'm not like, I know that you'll hear people talk. It's like, oh, God gave me this vision. God, I don't get those a lot. I don't have like, I don't feel like God speaks to me directly a lot of times. There have been very, very few incidents where I have felt like this and I can't explain it. I don't know the theological term for it. I felt it. I felt like that's what God was saying. Don't know how to prove it. Don't know how to back it up. But what I can tell you is that on the day that I started full-time in Arizona, it rained for the first week. Now for Josh, who comes from Portland, that's not that big a deal. <laughs> but you guys know a week straight of rain, that's something in Arizona, just a little glimpse of his goodness, a little glimpse of his promise. I wonder if you have that today. I wonder if there's a memory you haven't thought about for a long time of when God spoke, of when God promised, maybe through a verse, maybe through someone who knows Jesus also, an encouraging word that they gave you. But I wonder if you have that, that, that thing that you hold on to when it gets really difficult, when the awkward after Christmas waiting starts to feel really heavy. I wonder if you have that moment that you can remember when God said, hey, you're gonna make it. You're gonna make it. We need those moments as we wait. <laughs> we need those moments to encourage our faithfulness and obedience as we wait after Christmas. We'll pick back up in verse 36, <clears throat> where we meet the prophetess Anna. So what Luke tells us in chapter two, verse 36, there was a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, 
having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So what do we know about Anna? Well, we know that Anna is elderly. Depending on the translation, there's two ways that commentators think about Anna's age. It can be translated that Anna was a widow until she was 84. However, it can also be translated that Anna was a widow for 84 years. Either way, Anna was very old. Uh, we know that she, was, that she was widowed. She doesn't have a husband. She was married for seven years. And, and pretty much across the board, uh, because no mention of children are, are, are given here, uh, most commentators believe that, that Anna was childless. So we have this old, childless widow who devotes herself to worship, to fasting, and to prayer in the temple, night and day. Some folks believe that she lived there, others that she lived close to the temple and, and, and would show up early in the morning and would leave late at night because she was devoting herself to worship. She was devoting herself to fasting. She was devoting herself to prayer. <laughs> This woman is going the distance for 84 years. It's like the Energizer Bunny, right? She keeps going and going and going and going. For 84 years, she's devoting herself. Think about it. This woman who has been denied a husband after just seven years. This woman who has been denied children is now choosing to deny herself in fasting. She's making this choice to press into God, even in those areas that it's painful. I, I don't imagine little Anna as, as a child dreaming about her future and thinking, gosh, it, wouldn't it be great if I became a widow after seven years, if I was alone for the rest of my life? In the words of the famous theologian, Iron Mike Tyson, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Well, how do we wait faithfully when life punches us in the face? What do we do when in the midst of our waiting, things don't go according to our plans, our ideals for our life? I don't know about you, but this seems very familiar in my life. I have my idea and then reality comes. I have my plans and dreams and then reality comes. It doesn't always work out the way I want it to. So how do we respond? Yeah, I wonder if anyone's 2020 went according to their plan this year. Probably not. But we see, we see Anna. We see Anna's faithfulness. We see Anna's devotion in the temple. I wonder how many couples Anna watched come into the temple to worship, to sacrifice. I wonder how many young families, childless Anna watched come and dedicate their babies to the Lord. I wonder how many years of that 
took place as she was worshiping and fasting and praying. I wonder if there were those moments of temptation to fix her eyes on the people around her. I wonder if there were those moments she was tempted to allow bitterness to come in. Why did I get dealt this hand and they got that? I wonder also if Anna realized fixing our eyes on other people isn't really helpful for us as we wait, as we try to wait faithfully. But fixing our eyes on the Lord is what matters. It seems like that's what Anna did. She fixed her eyes on the Lord. She worshiped and she prayed and she fasted in the temple in the presence of God's people. She was a faithful witness for 84 years. Wonder how many people got to know her story. Wonder how many people were encouraged by this, knowing Anna, the widow, the childless one who is faithfully serving God and his people. Wonder how many people she encouraged with that, with her testimony, with her vulnerability in her story and sharing that with others. That does something to us. It does something when we hear about the faithfulness of others in the midst of their suffering in the midst of their hardships. It does something for me when I can be honest and vulnerable with somebody else and say, I feel totally alone in this thing. And they look and say, yeah, me too. You're not alone. I wonder if this is how we begin to live out Paul's advice in, in, Colossians, in uh, Galatians to bear one another's burdens when we can come close to one another in community and share these places of deep woundedness that God transforms into these beautiful images of hope and faithfulness as we wait. As God calls us to go the distance, Christian life isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. It takes endurance and perseverance even when life gets difficult. But church, the good news is we get these little glimpses of God's faithfulness to us along the way. So because I'm a nerd, one of the things I did in, in preparing for this is I was thinking, okay, so Jesus is 40 days old. That puts him about six or seven weeks um, old. So I Googled like, what is the major developmental milestone at week six in a newborn's life? You know what it is? At about six weeks old, a baby can lock eyes with a caregiver and intentionally Smile. Imagine this scene for a moment. Like baby Jesus smiling at anyone, that would have been awesome, right? But baby Jesus in Anna's arms, an old, widowed, childless, grandchildless Anna's arms, locking eyes with her and smiling. What a beautiful moment. What a tender moment. And what does Anna do in response? She gives thanks to God and tells everyone about it. This is how God met me in my pain. This is how God gave me a glimpse of his promises in my deep felt wounds. This is how I know God is good, even when the circumstances around me are hard. But because he gives us those moments, 
Do you have that moment? Have you had that moment when things are just difficult and God sends that person to say that thing? God sends that person who just shoots you that quick text message, hey, love you, praying for you. You do the weird thing that we do sometimes where it's like, Jesus, I need a word and I just open up the Bible and your finger goes on the verse. I'm not saying you should do this, but let's be honest, we've all done it. And it's like the perfect verse. Thank God for those moments. Thank God for those glimpses those cool drinks of water along the way as we're trying to go the distance in the awkward waiting after Christmas, in the heaviness of the waiting of we have these promises, but we don't know yet how they're gonna come to fruition. Thank God that he is good and gentle with us. He gives us those moments of reprieve. I wonder if you can think back and remember some of those. I wonder what moments God has in store for you. Anna didn't know that this day would be the day. And we don't know. One of those moments might happen when you leave here. Or it might not. But we know that God is good. As Jim talked about on Christmas Eve, God is the one who gives us good gifts. That baby's smile had to be a good gift for Anna. I wonder what smiles God has in store for you after this long, hard year. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, this is one of my verses that I look back to. Paul tells us in in the beginning of 2 Corinthians that the God of all comfort comforts us in the midst of our distress so that we may in turn comfort others in their distress. I wonder what God is doing in you. I wonder how God is bringing healing and restoration and hope despite the circumstances around you so that you can get a taste of that comfort and so you can share that comfort with others. See, those who know Anna's story know how profound this moment is for her. When they hear Anna talk about this as she's sharing the good news of Jesus, that had hit in a different way, right? That that had to mean something powerful in in a different way than somebody who doesn't have that that same story. I wonder how God is crafting your story. I know it's hard to believe, but I wonder how he's using the really, really tough moments of your story to increase your faith in him and the faith of those around you. Church, I'm not telling you it's easy, but I'm telling you that God is good. So we wait. We try to wait with faithfulness in the big and small as we go through the motions. We wait resting on God's word and God's promises as he tells us that we're gonna make it. And we wait with perseverance despite the circumstances we find ourselves in. As we wait, trying, hoping, praying to go the distance. We feel the reality of this after Christmas this year. We feel it in everything. It's been such a weird year. And so I want us to think about that. Think about the reality. Like we have these promises. Jesus, the baby's already come, but it's not yet been fully realized. And, And for me, I feel this most as we've come back in person, as we take communion. Now hear me. I am thankful to take communion with you guys in person again. 
I am thankful for the repetition of it. I'm thankful for what it it reminds us of, that Jesus has given his body, he's given his blood for us. I I am so thankful for these moments that we have together to be formed together as God's people. Now, if I'm honest, I struggle to be thankful for the air-flavored styrofoam wafer that we have here. And most of the time I'm I'm okay with the like overly sweet grape juice, but it's not my choice, right? I I typically, when we would dip, remember remember before COVID, we used to be able to dip the crackers. Yeah, I like to dip in the the wine. Uh, There was something about the historical nature of that that I really, really liked. But as we come to communion today, feels like this is a very apt reminder of our reality. It's not perfect, but there are promises that we can bank on. Yeah, I would love the the delicious bread and the nice wine to be able to take communion in, but this is the reality. We have glimmers of the promises, but we haven't experienced them fully. Think about the Christmas feast you had two days ago. That feast cannot compare with what's waiting for us when Jesus returns, when Jesus reunites heaven and earth. If you think the wine that we had last year was good, wait till you experience the wine then. If you think, I don't know what you guys had, like the sweet Hawaiian rolls, those are my favorite. If you think those are good, wait until we get to feast with the bread of life. This is just a preview This is just a little foretaste, (laughs) a baby smile of what we will all experience when Jesus makes all things right. So church, I invite you to take communion with me now. First, we'll unwrap this wafer, this bread, which reminds us the body of Jesus given for us. Take and eat. Now we come to the cup, the wine, the juice, which reminds us of the blood that Jesus shed for us on our behalf. This picture that he gave us as we meet together throughout history, God's people throughout history have done this as we've longed, as we've waited faithfully for Jesus to come back and make all things right. I invite you to drink with me now. Will you pray with me?